Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. We are experts in intuitive eating for on-again, off-again chronic dieters, and we are here to help you take the guilt and stress out of eating so you can become the first in your family to break the diet cycle, just like we are in our families. We want you to be who you are without food guilt. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, No More Guilt for Melissa and Your Latina Nutritionist for Delina. Are you ready? Let's break the diet cycle. Hey, it's me, Melissa. Before we start, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by No More Guilt with Melissa Landry. What you are about to listen to is not a professional coaching or counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation meant for educational purposes. Look, we're dietitians, but we're not your dietitian. Remember that podcasts don't constitute treatment. If you have concerns about your dieting behaviors, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. And if you're looking for the process, support, and focus you need to live life without food guilt, apply for a coaching program from today's sponsor, me. I'm currently enrolling clients into one-to-one programs, group programs, and I recently added a do-it-yourself format, the Ex-Dieter's Guide to No More Guilt. Apply for a program at melissalandrynutrition.com. I hope to meet you soon. Hello, Delina. Hey, hey, hey. We are back for another episode. This time we are talking about how our mothers impacted our relationship with food. And we want you to think a little bit about how your relationship impacted your relationship with food, because we find, gosh, this is such a common thing in clients. It matters. It makes an impact. Do you see this a lot where clients are kind of unpacking mom stuff with food? Yes. All the time. I I'm thankful that I didn't have to deal with this. I think I've shared this a lot. Like I grew up in a very intuitive home. If you might, might say that it wasn't very riddled in diet culture, but yeah, so many of my clients deal with this. Yeah. I want this episode to really be about taking a step back and trying to almost look at it like an anthropologist or an observer, which may be hard for you if you're not fully healed in the process. So for a moment, I want to share a little bit about my story and what this was like for me. And then I want to talk through like what I hear all the time is people saying like, I feel bad. I know my mom was doing the best she could, but also I can't continue to be in this relationship as it is and do my food freedom work at the same time. We talked a bit about this from the cultural lens last episode, but today Mm -hmm. I really want to talk about the more nuclear family specific to your mom kind of stuff. um, If you have, if you do choose to have a relationship with your mom at this point. Yeah. And I think for me, I always tell everyone you can, you can hold the space for the fact that your mom did what she did because she thought that's what was best. And that's what she was taught. But you could also hold space for the fact that it hurt you and you can heal mm-hmm. from it now and have a different relationship with your mm-hmm. body and food and with her, shall you choose to. Yeah, exactly. So that's the the line that you might find eventually. And what I see with a lot of clients is that there is a lot of distress and hurt around this right now. Mm-hmm. We can some days feel like, oh, I feel so bad for her, whatever. And some days feel like, oh my God, if you say that again, I'm going to explode. I never want to see Mm -hmm. you again. And that kind of swing, that pendulum swing can sometimes mirror that pendulum swing of whether or not we're committed to leaving diets Mm -hmm. behind. So I think for today's purposes, I want to really be clear that this might be something that evolves over years. It may change over time. I know you know the story of my mom and, and how kind of this impacted her. What I maybe haven't shared is how 
there was a period of time where I kind of did pull back in my relationship with my mother because being around her sometimes felt too triggering. And I needed to do some work figuring out who I was and what I cared about to get to the point where now I can tell this story and have compassion and talk openly with her in a way that isn't as sticky or hot Mm -hmm. or hot to trot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to make that open to other people because I went through that too. It was a hard thing and it actually ultimately wound up helping me to get stronger and have more self-esteem and it wound up also helping my mom to understand how to be there for me in a different way yeah. than she had in the past. It's hard. It's a hard topic to tackle. I sat down with her and I asked her, because I, I, you know, I'm at a point now where I do see how her experience impacted her ability to connect with us growing up and some of the perfectionism she placed on me and my sisters growing up. But I asked her, you know, like, because now I, I can, doesn't feel as <laughs> intense, but like, why do you think diets never really worked for you? Like, why do you think that you kind of kept pursuing that or struggled with this? And her answer was, I loved food too much. And this broke my heart. That answer to me, it sounded like, oh my God, she blames herself for her size. It resonated with me because I hear so many clients say this, like, yeah, I never succeeded at dieting because I love food too much. Yeah. And I'm sure like, no, I love food. Well, that's the, that's the juxtaposition it. of it. It's like, I know, right? Like, like, I'm sure she grew up eating delicious food and, and, and blaming herself for liking the amazing food that you're known not made. Yeah. So I think this whole like context looking back is like my grandmother comes to the States and she's assimilating. Like she wants to create safety for herself by looking mm-hmm, the part mm-hmm. It's the 1940s and 50s with all of the ridiculous, if you ever Google ads from that time, oh, like, horrible. Oh, isn't are. that where the, um, like the cabbage diet and all that crazy. Oh yeah. Is, like right? crazy, like weird diet one. Yeah. A lot of weird diets, a lot of like weird, uh, you know, sales of slimming garments and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on culturally. I'm sure back in Italy, there were some of those ideals yeah. as well. And to her, being thin meant being good. And my mom is in a bigger body. And so my mom's going through it with my grandmother Yeah, Uh, for her, for us to not experience being in a bigger Uh body, Mm -hmm. and we wouldn't go through what she went through. Yeah. So I know that, you know, like I can, I can rationally go like, okay, she's, she's coming in. Like I want to protect my babies. Yes. Using the tools that were used on me. Yeah. You know, my mom didn't explicitly put us on diets, but we also were naturally thinner kids. So yeah, I don't know what would have happened if we didn't look, we didn't look like she had hoped we would. And she never disparaged our bodies or nitpicked, but we saw her do it to herself. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, and I don't know if you've ever asked her this, but did she feel like she did a great job because you weren't? in a bigger body yeah yeah like did that give her some sort of like pat on the back like I did something right because my kids didn't have to experience what I had to experience yeah Yeah. I think there's mixed parts of her where she feels that way I do feel like she wanted us to not experience fat phobia I mean that's Mm -hmm. the truth of it and I think that that really is such a sad situation where a lot of parents feel 
on the one hand, they want their kids to be who they are, but they recognize that allowing that may mean that there are some social consequences in our current yeah. society. Yeah. That's why it's so important to me when I work with people who are going through a food freedom journey in a bigger body that we talk, actually talk about those, those social forces. How are we coping with them? How are we navigating them? Because what I don't want is for you to take the message that my mom took, which is that she loved food too much, that she's to blame mm-hmm. for her bigger body. Mm-hmm. And in reality, she was made to feel blamed by her treatment by the treatment she received in a bigger body. And so that's one of the things I really want through this episode is if you as a child, maybe a parent or a loved one, mom, whoever, whether or not it was well-intentioned, that wasn't okay. (laughs) And your body is not your fault. It is your tool. It is your asset. It is something to that you get to be in and experience your life in. And that's really what this food freedom journey can offer you next is being in your body. You know, the body is not an apology. We do love that book. I also want to say that I think I've had to overcome a little bit of like embarrassment sometimes of like, oh my God, are people going to think that my family's like, my mom's not nice or like my family's mm-hmm. messed up or like, oh my God, like, you know, we're not that kind of family. And I'm just going to say right here, there's no such thing as that kind of family. Yeah. All families have stuff that is okay. And I think that's part of kind of adulting or stepping into your adulthood is to reflect yeah. on that and decide how you want to move forward. So, and, and it's part of breaking generational trauma and why we go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I love that therapy. Got to talk that we, out. We love Create some therapy. space. Yes. <laughs> I do love my mom. And I want to say that she is an extremely resilient woman. And I see this in my clients too, for like what she was taught, how she was treated and what was handed to her, where she brought herself in life and how she continues to kind of push herself in her way to grow. She's showing up on my Instagram stories I saw her now. in the kitchen the other like, day. hell yes. Hey, Nancy. I mean, Wait, when I first started, she- Oh, she did pick the freaking backslash. This is a whole thing. Every day she goes, did I show you my new backsplash? I'm like, you mean the one you chose yesterday? And she's like, oh, I changed my mind. We're not doing that one anymore. Choosing the backsplash has been the great drama of 2021 so far. It's a big, it's a big, they waited 30 years to redo this kitchen. I totally get that this feels permanent at this point. Yeah, no, that's a big to do. I think she's going with like a light gray subway tile. Photos to follow. She is my type of gal. Yeah, I know you have that as well, like the subway (laughs) style. Anyways, mad props to my mom and I appreciate her for allowing me to share her story. You know, I asked her when I first started doing this work, how do you feel about me kind of sharing this story? Because I think it's important. I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. And at first she started to cry and she said, were you, the only thing that makes me sad about it is were you embarrassed of me? Were you embarrassed? Oh, I'm going to cry. Yep. That was, that was, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, oh, God, no, I wanted you to show up a little more. Like, yeah, it made me sad that you couldn't be there in the ways that I needed. So that's some of the conversations we've been able to have. She gave permission to share these things and to share this story because she goes, if it helps someone, like me, yeah. I think that's super valuable. And to watch her sometimes take these messages on and yeah. practice them in her own way has been such a joy to just have her see things slightly differently. It's super powerful. Now, for you all out there, this might get the wheels turning for your own situation. Delina brought up the beautiful balance of like, we can understand where they came from, yeah. but we also need to acknowledge the hurt. So let's start with the compassion side of you. I mean, you have... And maybe it's not around food, but like you also have a family, Delina, who 
came to this country, like mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to figure shit out. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't need to give details, but I'm sure there were things like all parents that went well and that didn't. Yeah. How do you cultivate that compassion for, for what they went through? Like, how do you remind yeah. yourself and empathize sometimes? Yeah. Like, like for me, it's always been that struggle of like, my parents came from like nothing, or I should say my dad more, right? My mom lived a, a more privileged life, you would say, in the Dominican Republic, and my dad did not. So they grew up in the same neighborhood, but they still had completely different upbringings economically, I would say. And so to for me, it was always this struggle of like, I have to take care of them. I have to be an adult. Right. I think the way that, that it impacted growing up as a first generation child was this idea of like, I had to be the adult because I had to translate. I had to make sure everything was done right because my parents didn't know English. And I think that it caused me and maybe now that I'm thinking about it and we're discussing this out loud, maybe I didn't have time to fall for diet culture and worry about looking a certain way in jeans or whatever, because I was busy trying to figure out how am I going to help my parents do this? How am I going to help my parents achieve X, Y, Z? How am I going to help myself achieve what I want to achieve, figure out college, figure out FAFSA, figure out all of these things. So to me, like my body was like the least of my worries at that point. And I'm wondering if that was like a blessing in disguise. And on top of that, the fact that, you know, I didn't have that diety talk at home. Right. As, so I think for me, the compassion came from wanting to help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I'm such a helper now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I relate to, to that. Family, yeah. right? Trying to help my family because I was the oldest. And, you know, how, how could I get us from point A to point B in a way? Not... I don't want to say economically because we never had trouble that way, but more of like in the in the American dream, like world. navigating. We things. assimilate. How can we navigate? Kind of scenario. Yeah. And so I think that that's that's the compassion that I hold also for them, and I think that's something that many immigrant children deal with on top of the food. Mm-hmm. Shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so these experiences, like we're growing up, and sometimes you're trying to like you're being led by your parents, but you're also leading your parents in some instances, Delina there. And that likely had an impact you, but at the same time, there is a part of you that can step back. And like, at least this point, now that you've made more sense of the world and heard more stories, I know you do such a great job connecting with women like you, like that matters. Like when you can connect with other women who've gone through similar things, this happened in my group call last night, everyone was sort of talking a little bit about some early experiences being put on diets Mm-hmm. It does help make meaning of it when you talk about it. Like that's such a important part of processing, I think. Yeah. It's it's a lot of generational stuff that we have to process yeah. through on top of if you have to deal with the body and food. Mm-hmm. Right. And show up food insecurity sometimes. Yeah. Like the food insecurities sometimes, right? Like today I posted about three things I learned. <laughs> growing up, you know, about food growing up. And it was like one, clean your plate. Cause if you don't clean your plate, you don't love the cook. <laughs> right. Yep. Two, there's always food at home. So you can't even get that satisfaction in food because let you want to have some McDonald's. No, <laughs> you go home and eating some rice and beans. <laughs> and three, food is a love language. So there was so many disconnecting or disjointed messages coming at us 
because we couldn't fully connect with our bodies because we were being told a million different things. Yeah. These little lessons that you learned are, is kind of a cool way to develop compassion too. Yeah. To think about like, okay, for the parts that hurt, what strengths were developed? What did I learn that that way of thinking? And we're going to get to the hurt side, guys. And remember, mm-hmm. this is not the toxic positivity we talked about last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you can just for a moment balance the perspective building to say like, look, there's takeaways you have from your experience too that helped you today and help you help other people. That's true for you listening as well. There was something from that that gave you some sort of strength or sense of self. Does that help you to understand this in a more objective way? Why it happened, how it happened. The reason why I think compassion can be helpful is when you say, you know, my, maybe my mom didn't know the hurt or the impact this caused. She thought she was protecting me. I can, I can understand that. Now you have an understanding that that belief is not something that was maybe coming from your mother or whomever's wisdom. That was coming mm-hmm. from a reactive space, a security yeah. space, a- An emotional space. A, yeah, I never double clicked on what I learned space. And so I do think that compassion has a little way of like nudging and edging out that automatic acceptance of what our parents valued and allows us that differentiation of like, you can be you and be stuck in that place. And I can be me in my growing place. I think that is another level of compassion work. It's not just to say they were doing the best they could, but saying they were doing the best they could. And because of that, Mm -hmm. I can separate myself from that. I want to do better. I want to do the best that I can with what I know. So I think that's super important. Acknowledging hurt is the other part. So at this current moment, even if you can rationally understand you may harbor feelings of sadness, resentment, grief, anger, maybe yeah. even fear, right? Being around people, fear of rejection. And I think this is where therapy is a nice adjunct to food freedom work. Because if you uncover some of this stuff that does maybe need that level of skill or work, therapy can be really helpful so you don't get stuck and you can experience the food freedom. We also have an intuitive eating, the coping skills, coping with kindness principle. We'll talk about that in more detail, but setting up a really strong pattern of self-care, understanding your emotions and giving permission to feel them is huge in intuitive eating. Sitting with the suckiness and messiness of all of it and allowing them to surface. I think that's... That's the scariest part about some of this work is allowing yourself to feel the negative thoughts, let them come up, let them surface, acknowledge that they're there, but also acknowledge that they don't have to be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of times dieting can be a coping skill. So for example, I don't feel in control of this situation. I don't know. I feel afraid of rejection. I feel this is I'm in a diet that's going to temporary yep. give, temporarily give me control. And control. you know, when you, when you say, okay, I'm going to do food freedom, guess what? You just set down your dieting tool that has served you for a lot of years. And yeah. now you gotta, you can't just put that down and go, okay. Cause you're going to feel like you're flailing. Particularly if these things are ongoing, uncertain areas in your life, this relationship stuff. So that's where the feel your feelings, coping skills stuff comes in critically important. We'll dive deeper this season, but the last one I want to talk about is boundaries and how you might consider that we talk about this a lot. It is worth considering and tailoring for your situation. For me, I've told you in the past boundaries has meant 
not hanging around as much, not spending as much time because I was not in a place yet to talk about what Mm -hmm. I even wanted. I couldn't even explain Mm -hmm. what I wanted yet from her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I talked about this in season one with the family members that I've had to deal with, you know, doing really extreme diety stuff. And I actually was telling Brian the other day, cause we all met up again for like the first time. Right. And I wasn't angry. I wasn't, the talks were there and you know, the jokes were there and I was just like, whatever. Like I was able to kind of just even more so than I was able to before. Like I've been able to make peace with the fact that that's who that person is, mm-hmm. that that's who that person is going to continue to be. And that I can't change that person to believe. <laughs> yeah. But I can for, but she's not hurting me or anyone else really in the process. So it is what it is. And I have to set that boundary with myself that I'm not going to let conversations yeah. with her or comments about them. Right make me angry, right. but it's taking years to get here. And allowing that step back is, mm-hmm. is because if you look at, if you're keep going into triggering situations, yeah. imagine this, like leading up to it, you're all worried about it. You're just yeah. your body. Mm-hmm. And there's the interaction itself. Then there's after the interaction, you're ruminating, you're worrying about that. The amount of time you are spending kind of healing that what happens around the trigger means you're disconnected from your body. You're not creating food core intuitive eating skills. Yeah. A lot of people say to me, like, you know, with the stuff with your mom, like, did you fix her stuff? And my response to that is like, that became less important to me. I don't, I don't aspire to do that anymore. That's not my job. What did start to happen is that I healed my stuff. Mm -hmm. I am spending Mm -hmm. more time connected with my body. So when I'm around people who maybe aren't there yet, yeah, I'm much more self-regulated. I don't have like, I'm not either like totally passive, like whatever, just shit all over me or, or the other spectrum, which is like rigid, rigid, reactive, you know, and boundary work is on a spectrum. It's fluid and and you will not always get it right. But the hope for a lot of people, especially those who are still in fat phobic families who are in bigger bodies is to feel more even around this, or perhaps you're making choices to avoid and interact with it a little less. Yeah. So Don't rush the process is what I really want you to know. I want you to have hope that this is possible. It has happened for me. It has happened for clients, even, and especially for those in bigger bodies, it is possible. Mm -hmm. You need to first and foremost, focus on what is it going to take for you to get clear on what you want and what works for you before you can ever aspire to communicate it and set boundaries with other people. So prioritizing you is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. I told you this one might get a little heavy, (laughs) but I hope it felt empowering too. You're your own person. You're not your mom. Even if you care for her, you're not her. Yeah. And we can't fix people. I think this idea of like, did you fix her? People asking you that it's like, we don't fix people. Yeah. That's not our job. No. Our job, because there was nothing wrong to begin with. Correct. We just help people find themselves again, mm-hmm. right? Find who they truly are, find themselves in whatever stage of life and whatever body they're in and start living now instead of waiting to be fixed. Right. That, that's the issue. Everybody, yeah. they can get fixed, that there's some magic answer, some magic pill, some magic way of eating. <laughs> sure. You know, 
woo-woo magic, right? That people try to sell you or, or tell you that it's going to work. But in reality, you never end up doing, or you never end up learning, right? Who you truly are in the process and, and finding yourself. And I think that that's the important part of this work is that you find yourself. Mm-hmm. And feel comfortable to be yourself. Yes. Which yes. to me, that is actually my goal. in interacting Mm -hmm. with, with family, with friends is like, how can I spend more time being myself, being honest, trying to hear when I need something? Cause for a long time I did not, I'm sure that's true for you. Like my needs came secondary in a lot of time, a lot of instances, how do I make my needs come first and feel okay with that more often, maybe not all the time, more often. (laughs) That's something that I struggled with a lot in 2020 because my, my priority was, I don't want my kids to get sick. Like in my head, I'm like, I don't care if I get it, but I don't want my kids to get it. Right. So I struggled a lot with how do I take care of myself? Because I felt like all I was doing was worrying about them, making sure they were safe. And I like just let myself fall, Mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't prioritize myself during this last year because I was so busy trying to keep. Yeah. And that was a period of stress. Just like, yeah, just like when you're having family drama stuff yeah, going on yeah, yeah. in times of stress. That's what we do. We get into survival mode. Yeah. And so yeah. this is, this is your invitation not to get into survival mode in a relationship with your mom or a loved one that, you know, they kind of raise you to feel this way, but you feel bad for them and you wish that you feel sad for them and you wish it was different for them. But also what about me? If that stuff's coming up for you, don't go into survival mode. Take a step back. Yeah. Practice some of the compassion, practice the coping, practice the boundaries. Yeah. All right. We got to practice what we preach though. So I'm going to hold you accountable. Will you hold me accountable to taking care of myself? <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a big ask. <laughs> I mean, the way that I've started taking care of myself is I actually just leave and get my nails done. That's my new thing. I have a whole Pinterest Quiet time. Oh, you do? Yes. Of nail designs. And every time I go, I pick one How out. Have fun. I love that. The it's creative. It's like. The lady's like always like, you want that? And I'm like, yeah, the poor lady, she's learning with me. We're like, we're like learning buddies. That's, that's how our relationship grows. You know, you gotta get, get to know one another that way. Well, good for you. And I think anytime you can take space, maybe it's not getting your nails done. You know, if it, just a little bit more space for yourself, it's going to help all of this stuff make a little more sense. So mm-hmm. When we go into the intuitive eating series, you may notice little words come up, especially when we get to the food police stuff. Like those little messages are often not your own voice. <laughs> uh-uh. So we will definitely be diving in on this some more, but I hope this helped to help you think about it. Help you feel like you're ready to not fix this stuff, but move forward through it. Yes, yes. So that was today's episode. We'd love a review wherever you found us so that you can help us help other women find us and find a better way to heal their relationship with food. Mm-hmm. It's the pay it forward method. <laughs> Very helpful for us and for others. We love building this community. You know, we are watching the audience grow week after week, which is super exciting. It means you guys are sticking around. It means you're continuing to learn with us. We love spending time with you this way. And until our next episode, we will see you on Instagram, just like we found each other. Thanks for being here with us and being who you are. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle.